Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 34 of Glass City Game Time, one of America's great sports podcasts brought to you by The Blade. My name is Corey Christen, and thanks for listening. We always appreciate you checking us out each week, whether you do so on ToledoBlade.com, on Blade News Slide, or one of the various podcast outlets that you can find us each week. This week, we're joined by yet another guest, and we're very excited and thrilled to welcome in the executive director of the OHSAA. It is Jerry Snodgrass. Now, Jerry has had, to say the very least, his hands tied over the last couple of months here with everything going on surrounding the coronavirus pandemic from the winter sports postseasons being canceled to the spring sports seasons getting delayed and eventually canceled. Jerry's had to make some tough decisions over these last couple of months. And most of what we're going to talk about in this week's podcast surrounds those decisions and his coordination with Ohio Governor Mike DeWine and Dr. Amy Acton of the Ohio Department of Health. All of those tough decisions and now in wake of the unfortunate and gruesome and horrifying death of George Floyd, the 46-year-old black man in Minneapolis who was murdered at the hands of a police officer, the nationwide protests. We hope there are changes that can be made and will be made that come out of these. And Jerry was very kind to share his thoughts around what's going on us regarding the protests and regarding the recent death of Mr. Floyd. And lastly, we talk about a couple of rule changes that have been ratified by the OHSAA over the last couple of weeks. The football playoffs have been expanded by four teams in each region, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you really break it down, it's a pretty big change. And now the playoffs have expanded from 224 teams to 336. And also new rules were implemented for suspensions for fighting and game misconduct. So Jerry and I talk about all of that on this week's episode of Glass City Game Time. Enjoy the interview with Jerry, and I will talk to you at the end of the podcast. In lieu of the events that's really encapsulated us over the previous five and six months now between the coronavirus pandemic and now the nationwide protests over the killing of George Floyd. I'm sure you've been equally busy with a lot of different stuff and your hands are very tied. We thank you for taking a few minutes here to join us. First off, I must ask, is everybody in your circle staying safe right now during this coronavirus quarantine era that we're all working through? You know, they are safe. And even with the um, governor, the um, director of health order, it was released last week to encourage businesses such as ours to allow uh, remote working. We are now we are remotely working through June 30th, and we have been since March 16th or 17th. And in fairness, uh, it's been it's been good for our staff. I think it's the right thing to do. We probably have been more productive and more communicative than we've ever been. So uh, I, that's part of the new normal coming back. I think. I think we're all trying to adjust to what that new normal is and what it's going to be. Right now, throughout our nation and even throughout the world, we are quarantine and coronavirus aside, 
we're going through a period now where a lot of the racial injustices throughout our nation have been brought to light after the death of George Floyd. Do you have any comment or any thoughts you can weigh in around any of that and what's going on? You know, I most certainly do. I really appreciate you asking. And I, I spoke with Mark Miller. Mark Miller was a 19, mid-1970s quarterback at Bowling Green, had a uh, career in uh, uh, with the Browns and with the Packers for a while, but had a lot of respect for him when I was in college and didn't really know him. But I hooked up with him a lot. He's a good friend now. But anyhow, Mark was telling me the other day, he said that, you know, something that sports has taught us as a player, as a coach, whatever it might be, that no one cares about an individual skin color, religion, race, sexual orientation, but they only care about the outcome of a team. And I thought how true that is. In all my years of playing and coaching, I can't tell you that I ever looked at any kid as their race or anything of the sort. And I think that's where we're so important on that is that we're on the grassroots of making a difference, and I think we really need to emphasize it even more. And and I think sports can do that, can unify. It can set social uh, norms and, and break down social barriers, and I think it's incumbent upon us that we do that and walk the talk. And you being an administrator at the high school level and working so closely with high school athletics, clearly things need to change and clearly change needs to actually happen. But what role can the OHSAA play in working with the school systems that maybe some of their students and their families do face these daily challenges of racial injustice and of prejudice? How can the OHSAA implement their voice into the schools to make that quality of life better for those that are facing those challenges? You know, despite all the challenges that we face, you know, with the pandemic, with the social issues that we have going on, I don't think I've ever been more excited to be part of an organization to help make change. And I think step number one of what you're asking, I think the first thing is to acknowledge that there indeed is a problem. And I think that's, that's really where we're going to have to walk the talk. And why I'm saying that, for us or for anyone to believe that the students or the kids, however you want to call it, in downtown Toledo have the same opportunities and that somebody does in one of the suburbs of Columbus, we're wrong if we don't acknowledge that they don't have. They don't have the same opportunities. And I think when it comes into making regulations, rules, which we are a body that does that. That's what we're to do. We have got to start recognizing that better. We need to listen. And I'd love to tell you that we listen now. And we do, but we need to do it better. And I think that's what this has brought out. And I've never been more excited to be part of something that will make that change even more so. We're all hopeful that real change, I'm not just talking about talking about change, but real change, across the country can come from what's gone on and transpired over the last week and a half here. Jerry, as I mentioned, over the last couple of months here, you've been a very busy man with regards to the coronavirus pandemic. And you have worked very closely with Governor DeWine regarding how high school sports is going to carry on and how it has and will carry on for the fact of that matter throughout the spring and the summer. The OHSAA canceled spring sports 
and had a no contact period in effect until May 3rd. That was the initial announcement back on April 21st. And as we all know now, the schools remained closed. No schools equals no sports. And, you know, here we are in June now with what would have been that spring season behind us. Kind of walk me through that working with the governor and working with the state of Ohio to coordinate that plan. And I'm sure that was a very fluid situation to get even the winter sports and the playoffs to get those wrapped up. And then even the spring season to, you know, whether it was going to get going or not. One of the easiest things I could say is we did not cancel spring sports. We did not cancel our winter tournaments that didn't get played. The coronavirus did, a pandemic did, something that none of us accounted for. But at the same time, no, the decision had to be made to do it. And that decision rests with me. And it, was, it, it rested in all of the uh, facts and information that I had. And at the same time, it doesn't discount one single bit the emotion, the importance of what these events meant toward the kids that were denied them. And I think that's important to understand that. But you know, during that time, um, I mean, the word unprecedented is overused, no doubt. But at the same time, it's the truth. And, that you know, we, we had no roadmap to go on. And we had to go with our best instincts, our best gut reactions. And I will openly say this many times. I equate so much of this with coaching. Why? Because you have to be ready to move on the fly. You have to be able to make sound judgments for the benefit of an entire team, regardless of how big that team might be. But, uh, and you do it with always the health and safety of a student athlete, let alone the fans, first and foremost, even when people don't agree. And I think that's the biggest challenge that, uh, you know, you have to be up to it, but that goes with coaching. You, you can't be concerned with what the fans say that don't like what you're doing. And, again, given the fact that, you know, it's all for the health and safety and also for the bringing this back sometime soon. Health and safety, I feel, are the number one and 1A priorities that everybody, not just in the state of Ohio, but, you know, whether it's the Michigan High School Athletic Association or Alaska, wherever it is, that's been the forefront of all of these talks. So with that said, we know Governor DeWine is a big sports fan. We know that Governor DeWine wanted to walk that water of having the people do what they feel they need to and feel like they should versus, okay, how can we get back to that thing of normalcy in the most efficient and the safest way possible? Can you share some of the details of those conversations you maybe had with Governor DeWine or even Dr. Amy Acton about how the OHSAA could and maybe should proceed with the spring sports? You know, probably the most identifiable issue that, that I faced in a discussion with them uh, goes back to the winter sports. And on Tuesday, March 10th, I have that date burnt in my mind. Um, that on Tuesday, March 10th, I received a call from the governor, and he informed me that uh, he, in his office, was the state superintendent of schools, and the director of the, the state director of the Department of Health, Dr. Amy Atkins. So I knew this was a pretty serious call, and I knew things were starting to get testy because things were moving so rapidly with the spread of the virus. But I still thought we'd get through the week, and through the week meant getting through our state tournaments, you know, for the winter sports. 
And the governor told me of all, we were in our regional basketball tournaments. And the governor said, I am recommending, and I'm going to stress that word, he recommended, I am recommending that you continue with your winter sports, but with no fans. And he quickly corrected that to say parents, parents only. So we had a little discussion about what parents meant because some families have, you know, step-parents, and we settled on a number of four. But when we were done with the call, I go back to the fact that he said recommended. I knew what recommended meant. And the governor was giving me the opportunity to be a leader and do what I needed to do. And I hung up that phone. I knew what I had to do, even though it was only recommended. And I asked him before I hung up. I said, out of all due respect, I said, is the Mid-American Conference, is the NCAA, is the Ohio State University, and are the Blue Jackets all receiving this same message? And he emphatically said, yes. When I hung up that phone, I buried my head in my hands for a few minutes. It's still emotional for me to even think about it because I can tell you every second of that because I was alone. But I also knew what I had to do. And I made that call and started the communication that we would do just that, that we would limit our attendance. We had to give a lot of money back on ticket sales. We had a plan in place. I was proud of that. And the next day it came out that some of those organizations, the NHL was one of them, match the Blue Jackets, were not going to follow that recommendation. It's a recommendation. And they were not going to follow it. They were going to proceed with their events. Us and the Mid-American Conference, who was having their basketball tournament in Cleveland, we did follow it. So the governor came out the next day and said, I commend, and he did commend us in the Mid-American Conference for uh, heeding his recommendation. And because the others didn't, this is now an order. So it just tells you a little bit about leadership. I'll go one step further to say, you're right, the governor has, has been you know, very uh, staunch on his uh, view of everything, as has Dr. Acton. But a lot of people don't realize that Lieutenant Governor Houston was a great uh, football player at University of Dayton, graduated Montpelier High School in, North, in Northwest, way up in the northwest corner. His wife is in the Hall of Fame, I believe, as a three-time state champion in cross country from Little Colonel Crawford High School in Crawford County. And my conversations now are more with the Lieutenant Governor. I have one coming up uh, in, in another day. And... Uh, he is very committed to the overall importance of school sports starting. So I, I think the dialogue is good. The dialogue is they understand the importance of school sports in a student's life. And I think that's very important in our conversations. So to say that you took a recommendation and ran with it, I'm sure that it could not have been an easy call or an easy thing to even draft to come out and say, hey, this is what's going to go on with the winter postseason. But then dealing with the spring season and how that was going to either start or how that was going to take place might have been a different beast. What exactly could you share about the plan or maybe the idea of can we play spring sports season? How can that happen? What were those conversations like? Yeah, very, very good question because – we, from the onset, I'm asked many times, even now, uh, what's the drop-dead date for a decision in, for fall sports? And I often, I, I always say, we did not have drop-dead dates. We had alternate plans. 
And I think that's important for that. We did that in the spring. We knew at the start of our spring seasons, I mean, because we just ended the winter uh, of canceling those or at least postponing them at the time. And we did postpone for quite a while. Um, but with the spring sports, we had them on hold. And a lot of people accused me of false hope to our kids. You need to quit doing this. No, it wasn't false hope at all. We wanted these events to go on. We didn't know. It's easy for us as Monday morning quarterbacks to look backward and say, well, hey, if we'd only known then or whatever. But it was so rapidly changing that we kept every alternative open, everything down to even if we could have a two-week season while school was still in session, we would have done it. So we didn't want to lock ourselves into, you know, doing it just because the way we've always done it. I told our staff from day one, do not let our regulations lock us into doing what is right. And we can always change a regulation if it's for the right reason. So we held on to every hope possible. And it was a very, very tough day when the governor announced that schools would be closed for the remainder of the year. And it wasn't just because kids were not sitting in a classroom. Kids were learning remotely, albeit some better than others, but it wasn't, that wasn't the reason. The reason was buses were not available for transportation, let alone drivers. Umpires, whose average age is 53 years old, 53 plus, we weren't sure how many umpires we could get in a normal situation. School facilities, even though local health departments and schools had the decision to do it, I can just tell you that schools would not make their facilities available. So we had to make that collective uh, input, using that collective input, and make decisions for the benefit of everyone. And when you think about it, even if School A would have made their facilities available, well, they're scheduled to play School B, School B may not have been. So there were all these different things that uh, played into those tough decisions and knowing full well when we made those tough decisions you know we're the target for attack because we didn't care and all this other stuff but that just goes with leadership positions and making making tough decisions you used a football analogy in monday morning quarterback so i'll use one this was very much not a hail mary scenario it was more of a rpo you know you got to keep your different doors open you got to keep your different options open I feel like the fall sports season is going to be a whole different beast, and maybe that'll be something that you guys are contingently planning on. I mean, what stuck out to me about what you just said was that you had plans in place potentially to play two-week-long seasons. Now, I know the fall might be something a little bit different because there's this thing in Ohio called football, which is, you know, the king of kings. I'm not saying that would maybe carry on into the fall, but have you guys started to think about what could potentially happen in the fall? We started thinking about what could happen in the fall way back in mid-spring. And, you know, again, not to lock us in, but to be prepared. And everything in our current discussions are focusing on everything of, you know, what if, what if, what if. We don't know. But everything from, you know, I, I mean, you, you go how, how far down the road this looks or how far bizarre this may seem. But in the return to school in the fall, assuming that we do, because the governor has committed that we will, again, barring any changes. Changes could occur instantly. But we have to be concerned about everything from school transportation. It looks right now that one of the restrictions could very well be 
that only one person be allowed per seat on a school bus. Well, yeah, on one hand, you say, well, that's all getting kids to school in the morning. No, 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 no. That's also about transporting marching bands, school football teams, freshman teams, volleyball teams to games, and that limits a bus to holding 22 people. Well, now let's go one step further with that. You know, that 22 people on a bus, that means you take more buses. We all know what's happening to school funding as a result of the uh, economic crisis that's developed in this. Somebody has to pay for those school buses, and a lot of people don't realize that when a team goes or a marching band goes to a game. And by, by and large, it will be an athletic program asked to pay for more transportation costs. Now let's take that one step further. What if we have football in the fall with very limited fans? At that point in time, the revenue that a school receives, and it's their athletic department, uh, is going to go down considerably. How do they pay for those buses? So do they cancel football? Do they cancel fall sports altogether? So we're trying to think through all those different things. Some, some I'm not sure what we can do about them. But we at least have to be prepared to answer all of the what-ifs and all of the, if this happens, what do we do? What do schools do? What can we give them advice on? So it's very, very complex, and we've been thinking about it for a long time. Is the idea of spring football on the table? Let me say it another way. It's not off the table. And I go back to the comment about how we don't have restrictive dates. Because if we go into August and we can't start practice yet, then we'll start looking at later on practicing in August. And if we get to the end of August and we still haven't practiced, we'll look at other alternatives at that point, including possibly, and I, again, I emphasize, possibly a shortened season. Um, so that becomes an issue. So if we get partway into the season or later in the season and we can't play at all, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out at all. And I think that's the, the, the flexibility has got to be there rather than saying, even right now, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say, we are starting practice on August 1. I'm hopeful. I'm confident. I'm optimistic. But I also don't want to retract that statement. So we're hopeful that we will, but we will be prepared if we can't. A couple of rule changes here that have come across the way within the last few weeks here. And on May 20th, the board of directors approved, once football season does start, there is an expansion of the playoffs. In each region, the playoff bracket goes from 8 to 12, and the seedings change. And now the total of high school football playoff teams jumps from 224 to 336. What were some of the reasonings behind the expansion, and what can you share about the steps? Because it was a unanimous vote nine to zero what were some of the steps in getting that number adjusted correctly or maybe even just getting it set to what you guys feel comfortable doing well you know keep in mind i think with our governance governance structure um our board of directors who are elected members from our schools representing every area of the state and every size of school in the state are the ones that make that determination so, you know, if it's not good, if they, if they vet that carefully and realize it's not the best situation, then they probably wouldn't approve it. So, but they did approve it. They approved it unanimously. So, one, I would say that our board of directors that governs us and represents our schools do believe that it's 
the best possible. It, it is a good solution, a good situation. So, given that, the other all, the other parts of that are football is the only sport that does not currently allow every single school into the football playoff into its postseason tournament. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, it's pretty difficult to do that when we have a lot of leagues that have 10 teams. We can't add another game to the schedule. Uh, it's very difficult to do that, very difficult to shorten uh, the 10-game schedule. So this just expands the opportunities for more schools to get it. You look at Clyde High School. Clyde High School was an eight seed last year, barely got in, barely got in, and won the state title. So this just expands the opportunities. People talk about it cheapening the um, state championship. Hey, listen, when we went to seven divisions from six, I didn't hear any person ever holding up that trophy and saying, ah, I wish, you know what, this is a cheaper trophy. It's not at all. So it just expands the opportunities for everyone. And also in that May 20th meeting, the OHSAA approved a measure by increasing suspension lengths for ejections, for fighting, and for misconduct, and it essentially doubles the penalty depending on the sport. Can you explain exactly what the changes were and what we can expect in the rule book going forward on that? Yes, primarily, uh, we've seen an uptick in aggressive behaviors slash fighting uh, in sporting events. And quite frankly, we cannot tolerate it, and we won't tolerate it. And I know there are varying opinions, and there'll be very, varying opinions. There'll be varying opinions the first time somebody's ejected for four games as a result of that. But basically what it has done, it has doubled the normal ejection penalty in all sports. That'd be two in football, but four in most other sports. That uh, for fighting now will be that length of uh, suspension. And again, it's all because of the uptick and the belief, and I do uh, subscribe to this, that a stiffer penalty will help uh, reduce the number of fights that take place. And then looking at the enforcement of that new rule, is it going to be a, look, they got ejected from the game, boom, the automatic suspension, or is there any kind of maybe appeals process? What are some of the details behind this new rule change that you can share? Well, as far as the appeal process for football, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of the appeal process, um, partly because I would guarantee you, soccer alone uh, has in 300 numbers of ejections. There's no way you can keep up with that. Secondly, you really couldn't, you can't evaluate every single official's call. Thirdly, we don't have the resources electronically that the NFL does or the NBA or anything else that has multiple cameras at every site in the proper locations. It's just not feasible. So when you look at the one in football on targeting that was uh, updated to allow for video replay or, or appeal, there were, I believe, only 15 of them last year that were ejections. And of the 15, upon, you know, getting, we, we review them, even though we can't, we wouldn't overturn them. We still review uh, them. And I believe it was like 12 of the 15 after reviewing them internally probably were not correct. I think some of that has to do a little bit of the vague language within the rule itself. So it felt that that was very feasible to do that for that particular sport. We're going to have to hold the ground on everybody else wanting appeals uh, reviewed and video evidence because it's not going to happen, at least in the present time. 
we appreciate your time. I know you've, again, been a very busy individual over these last few months here for a, new, a number of reasons. So the 20 or so minutes that you took here to join me is much appreciated. Thank you so much for sharing the insight and for sharing your knowledge. And uh, we hope to uh, chat with you pretty soon here. Thank you very much. And I look forward to you being part of bringing this all back. We recognize the importance of it. You're part of making it so important. And we shouldn't apologize for that. Now it's our job together to help get it back. So thank you. 100% agree, Jerry. Thank you again. You bet. There you go. My thanks again goes to Jerry Snodgrass for taking time out of his schedule to join me. And I'll be honest, a lot of the questions that I asked him were... Yeah, of course, I have a journalistic approach to this, and I have a journalism job to do, but I also asked those questions about the winter cancellation and the spring delay and the spring cancellation, and even football. I asked those as a fan, because I'm wondering too, and I appreciate Jerry being so open and disclosing really a lot of those closed-door conversations that he had with Governor DeWine and with Dr. Acton about how the OHSAA should proceed with their sports for the winter and the spring. And even looking forward to the fall, he mentioned that they've been drawing up contingency plans for the fall since early spring. So time will tell with regards to how the OHSAA is going to play that out. The coronavirus pandemic still holding on to the sports world, but not as much as we get into June and into the summer months. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of Glass City Game Time. If you enjoyed the show or want to go back and listen to more episodes of this podcast series, there are multiple ways to do so. You can find us each week on ToledoBlade.com. You can find us each week on Blade News Slide. And you can find us on various podcasting outlets. You can find us each week on Google Play, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, and we always appreciate it if you share this episode and leave us a like rating that goes a lot farther than you might think thanks again to jerry and thank you for listening for episode 34 of glass city game time my name is Corey christen and i will talk to you next week <laughs>